0: Well, we're going to be in the book of Hebrews, chapter 12. Uh, We're going to look at verses 1 through 3. And if you have your Bibles, uh, I'd like you to turn with me over there. And as you find your way, let me share with you a quick story. Uh, Once upon a time, uh, I was a competitive runner, believe it or not. Uh, I ran cross country, and I ran the 2,400 meters in track. And uh, since I'm built a whole lot more like a bear than a, than a gazelle, uh, I was uh, just barely competitive. In uh, a couple of years of competition, I came in uh, in the top three in a total of one race. And uh, mostly I was out of co- out of contention, uh, and mostly I ran for the camaraderie and for the exercise uh, because most of the other guys on the team were a lot faster than me. But I do remember a few things about, uh, about running and racing back then. And one of the things I remember is the preparations that we made for race day. Uh, we had running shoes for race day that were different from the running shoes that we wore for training. In fact, uh, your racing shoes are only just the barest minimum of fabric and leather and laces. Uh, They just have just an absolute minimum of just enough to protect your feet, just enough rubber, just enough leather, just enough fabric, just enough shoelaces to hold them on while you run. But they don't weigh hardly anything. And we wore, you know, this was the 1980s, so we we had the short shorts, you know, they were like right here. Okay, and they had a split that went up to the hip bone. They were ultralight nylon. Uh, they had just enough fabric for modesty, and that was just about it, right? And uh, we had, we had uh, tank tops that we wore that were mostly mesh. They had fabric up top, but everything from here down was just mesh fabric. And total weight of everything we're wearing is about a half a pound. I mean, we were just about out in the wind, okay? We are, just, we are just barely clothed as we are running. And, and, of course, you know, I was then a lot more of a sleek creature than today, right? And so, because you want to shed off as much weight as you possibly can, both body weight as well as clothing weight, so that you can run as fast as you possibly can. Because the goal is to cross that tape ahead of everyone else. And so you want to strip off and lay aside any extra weight that you have. You don't want anything to slow you down because the more weight you are carrying, the harder it is to run. And that's the principle that uh, the Apostle to the Hebrews is emphasizing here in verses 1 to 3. So I want want to... Uh, read those verses for you. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 1 to 3. Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. Now, as you read these verses, what you can see here in them is that the apostle is here comparing the Christian life to a race, and he's encouraging both his original readers and us to run the race well. And if you're going to run the race of the Christian life well, there are a couple major things you need to do. And the first thing you need to do is you need to strip away sin and run with endurance. Now, if you look closely at verse 1 with me, it begins with the word, therefore. Now, I've said this before. Some of you probably know what I'm about to say. Whenever you see the word, therefore, you need to figure out what it is. Therefore, exactly. Okay. Uh, Because therefore in your Bible and elsewhere in literature is always a word which draws a conclusion from what went before. And if you look at the verses immediately preceding this, this section that we're looking at today in chapter 11, what you see is some of the sufferings and persecutions that were endured by God's people of old. And it's important that we read these verses with that context in mind so that we can understand this verse. Uh, take a second here, if you, if you have a pen or a pencil, uh, and just circle the word witnesses there in your Bible. Uh, it's an interesting word in Greek. Uh, the word witness in Greek, in the original Greek that's there, as the apostle wrote it, is a really interesting word. It's the word martyron, the word from which we get our English word Martyr. And so, uh, in, 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 in Greek, that word has two meanings. It has the sense of a person who has seen something and is testifying about it. But it also have, carries the sense that we think of as the primary sense of the word martyr in English. Of someone who has seen something, is testifying about it, and is doing so all the way to their death. Under persecution. And see, the, the author of Hebrews, what he's doing here is he is underlining and encouraging people with the fact that these people looked forward to the coming of Jesus and they, they heard about the promises of God and they were told about things that they didn't yet receive but they were anticipating them and looking forward to them and they went to their deaths knowing they were going to happen but that they hadn't happened yet. And we, as people, are looking back on things that have happened. We are the people who look back on the fact that Christ has come in fulfillment of all Old Testament expectation about the coming of Messiah and the establishment of the new covenant and the reign of the Davidic king. We look back on all of those things coming to fruition in Jesus. And and so he is saying, your faith should not be less than theirs. You have this great cloud of witnesses and in the context of this race that he's talking about, it's almost as if these people are, are, have already crossed the finish line and they are in the stands cheering for you and I as we run our race. That they are looking down and able to see what we are doing. And they are saying, run with endurance. Endurance. Just as I did, just as we did, and that they have been faithful, and, and they are testifying to us with their life and with the persecution that they suffered and with their, with their deaths that they suffered. I mean, how many of you would like to be sawn in two? Man, I didn't see any hands go up, right? How many of you would like to be stoned to death or beheaded? or imprisoned, or flogged, or put in the stocks and left there. And these lives of these men and women testify to us that God is faithful to His Word, that He keeps His promises, that the costs are worth it, and that, and that, and that living for Jesus, and when it comes to it, dying for Jesus, is the only way to go. Amen? That's their testimony. With their life and with their death, they testify not just to their own generation, but to ours. And then the apostle gives us some exhortation from the fact that we are surrounded by this great cloud of witnesses, this heavenly stadium full of martyrs, if you will, that cheer us on as we run our race. He says we need to do two things. We need to, number one, strip away sin... And number two, run with endurance. Now look at the text again. It says, lay aside every weight and the sin which clings so closely. It's the idea, the same idea that I had back in my racing days that you need to take off anything and everything that will slow you down. You need to travel light because you need to be able to run hard. You need to be able to run hard all the way to the end. You know, I've lived long enough now. I'm now I'm gonna be 43 next month. And I've lived long enough now that I've seen enough of stuff in the world that very little out there in the world shocks me much anymore. You know, I, I've become fairly bomb-proof, actually as it relates to the things that unbelievers do. But do you know what I find every time truly shocking? The kinds of things and the kinds of of sins that are committed by people who profess faith in Jesus Christ. I'm always surprised by that. And sometimes we in the church treat sin casually and lightly. And we you know, we take the reality that we will not be entirely free from the presence of sin until we stand before, before God in glory as an excuse for continuing to do a variety of things that we know that God condemns. Amen? And we go, well, you know, yeah, I know that that's a sin, but well, hey, everybody sins, and so, hey, no harm, no foul, no big deal, right? But that is not at all how the Scripture treats sin. The Scripture says about sin that it is deadly serious, that if you persist in it, you will show yourself not to be a child of God, and that. If, and that's your sin and my sin required the bloody, painful, tortured death of the Son of God that to make the payment for the penalty of it that we might be in relationship with God in the first place. Amen? And so we dare not treat sin lightly. We need to not act as if people don't really go to hell for this. They do. Sin is deadly serious. And we need to not act as if people who profess faith with their mouth, but deny him with their rebellion against him will be in heaven. They will not be, according to the scriptures. Let me be crystal clear here. There is nothing that is required to enter the kingdom of God beyond saving faith. Amen. There is nothing that is required beyond saving faith. But saving faith includes repentance from and fleeing from sin. It includes laying aside sin as it begins to entangle us. It includes confession and seeking forgiveness from God for the sins we commit as believers and committing ourselves to turning away from sin and back to the Lord. Christ did not come merely to set us free from the penalty of sin. He also came to set us free from its power and over time as we are made holy by the presence of the Spirit of God, also from its presence in our lives. And so it's not that we become sinless, but we ought to apply serious effort to sinning less. Amen? Say amen. Yeah. yeah. All right. It's okay. Okay. It's, it's all right to say amen, unless you don't mean it. All right. <laughs> but, uh, but we ought to sin less. And, hold, and, and, and applying effort to pursuing holiness is not antithetical to being saved by grace. It is in fact a demonstration of the fact that you have been saved by grace, that you're pursuing Christ and fleeing from sin with all of the effort you can muster. And I can tell you, by the way, from personal experience, from personal experience, I can tell you that, going, that trying to pursue Christ while clinging to sin is like trying to run with a 50-pound sack of dog food over each shoulder. Can you run? Yes. Not far and not fast. It's an encumbrance. And sin operates the same way. And even if you might otherwise be a Spartan race competitor... Your endurance runs out fast if you've got stuff that is weighing you down. So we need to heed the scriptural encouragement and exhortation that is here for us to lay aside sin and to run with endurance. Now, I want to pray for us right now and help us to do that and take us before the throne of grace. And if you have... At this minute, sin in your life that you have not repented of, I want to encourage you and exhort you and invite you to do that right now. So let's, let's pray. God, our Heavenly Father, you say in your word that if anyone says he has not sinned, he is a liar and the truth is not in him. we say we have not sinned, the truth is not in us. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate before you, Jesus Christ, the righteous one. And if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sin and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Father, I pray that if there's anyone sitting here right now, man or woman, boy or girl, who is at the moment trying to live a double life, who is trying to cling to sin and also cling to Jesus at the same time. Father, I pray that you would break our hold on sin. Help us to turn from it. Help us to want to repent and then to repent of it and be set free from its presence in our lives. Father, we know that sin clings to us so easily, and there's a part of our hearts that remains in love with it. So, Father, I pray that you would set us free, that you would help us to lay it aside, that we might run with endurance the race you have marked out for us. And Father, I pray in Jesus' name, amen. Now, if you've run any races before, you know that endurance requires not just stripping away unnecessary weight, it also requires focusing on the end. You know, back in my running days, um, a lot of my races were in the early afternoon or late afternoon, and uh, my dad wouldn't be off work at at all of those but there'd be a sum that he would figure out a way to get off of work and to the race in time to see us run and I always loved it when dad was there because he would be there at the end and he would be screaming and he had a loud voice he'd be like run boy (laughs) right (laughs) okay and I could hear him and I you know I mean every kid knows their, their, their father or mother's voice because they've heard it yelled at volume, right? <laughs> uh, you know, and, and you could hear him yell, I could hear him yelling my name. And I knew that when I crossed the finish line that he would be there. And he would give me a hug and he would tell me, I'm proud of you, son, I love you. And, and the writer of Hebrews has got the same idea in mind. That we need to focus on the end and who is there at the end. And so he says, look to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith. We have the perfect person to focus our attention on. And, you know, all the other guys in Hebrews chapter 11, they were all good guys. They were all, in fact, heroes of the faith. But Jesus is the center of it. He's the founder. He's the author of the whole story. In fact, he is, as the text says here, he's the perfecter of our faith. All of those other guys, including the prophets, they were good men. But the best of men are men at best. And Jesus is the only one who lived the life of faith perfectly. And these these words remind us that Jesus is our ultimate example. He is the ultimate witness. He is the ultimate martyr who went to his death testifying to us that God's promises are being kept and that his word is true and that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. In fact, all God's promises were kept in Jesus Christ. And they are being kept in Jesus Christ. As, in fact, as Paul says in Corinthians, he says, in him, all God's promises are yes. And so he says, focus on Jesus and focus on the way that he lived his life. And, and what did he do? It says, for the joy set before him, he endured the cross, despising its shame and is seated at the right hand of God. He says, he says, look, what was the joy set before Christ, by the way? The joy set before Christ, I would submit to you, is the salvation of you and me. And so as he went to the cross, he looked at the goal, and he saw that the goal was the salvation of Mark and Clarice and Sam and Rick and Joe, and Steve, and everyone else who has come to faith in Jesus. He saw our faces as he went to the cross, and he said to himself, it is worth it for them. And by the way, he says he despised the shame I don't know if you understand exactly how crucifixion works, and because you know a lot of our artwork about it is so—it makes such an effort to be modest. But you are hanging there in along a public road, stripped naked and bleeding. How many of y'all had, ever had that recurring nightmare where like you, you, you have to make a public speech and you realize as you're about halfway through that you're standing there naked? You had that nightmare and you wake up going, Ugh! okay, <laughs> okay, yeah. Only Jesus is actually hanging there, abused, tortured, bleeding, and naked, And he has everybody from the religious leaders and lots of Roman soldiers and other people standing there mocking him. If you are the son of God, come down from the cross and we will believe in you. Before he hangs on the cross, he has a bunch of Roman soldiers beat him half to death, put a robe on him, hand him a stick, crown him with thorns, bow down to him in mock homage and say, hail king of the Jews. He despised the shame of his death because he had joy set before him and the joy set before him was you. And then he was seated at the right hand of God. He knew that your salvation would be accomplished in his death and he knew that he would return to his father and he would be seated in glory as he possessed before the incarnation. And his encourage, the writer to the Hebrews is telling us these things and reminding us of these things because he's saying, look, one day... If you endure persecution, you're going to to suffer humiliation too. One day you may go to your death, but you go to your death focused on Jesus with the fact that you are going to His presence in glory in mind. Remember how Stephen dies in the book of Acts? Remember? Remember? Great story. He's standing there. People are throwing rocks at him. And I think you need to, you need to imagine, you know sometimes we we, think, we forget about what stoning actually is. And we imagine like little bitty rocks, like you can find in your driveway. This is rocks. And they are throwing these big rocks at him and breaking his bones and bruising his flesh. And causing blood to flow from his face. And he is looking up to heaven. Remember? He looks up to heaven and he does two things. He prays for the people who are killing him. Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. Just like Jesus. And then he sees Jesus standing, waiting to receive him into glory. And the encouragement here is this, no matter what happens to you, no matter what happens to you, if you're a Christian, you're probably going to face mockery at some point for your faith. That's probably at this end of the persecution scale. At the other end, martyrdom and death. But whatever you go through, keep your eyes not on the people who are doing that to you, but on Jesus and the glory that awaits. And you'll be able to run with endurance. You'll be able to go through all of the pain of that over a long period of time, all the way to the end of your life, by focusing on who is at the end and what awaits you there. Right? Right? The beauty of finishing a race, you know what it is? You know what the glory of finishing a race is? It's that you get to stop running. (laughs) Okay. You know what the beauty and glory of death is? That you go into the presence of Jesus and you enjoy glory forever. Even if you win the race, I mean, what do you get, like a T-shirt and a medal, you know? satisfaction of having finished and not died along the way, right? Uh, But when you finish this race, you get to go into the presence of God. And so keep your eyes not on all the obstacles, not on all the pain along the way. Keep your eyes on Jesus who is at the finish line. Amen. And then his same same encouragement in verse 3, consider him I had to actually read it because I, rem- I memorized it differently. Okay. Consider him who endured from sinners such hostility against himself that you may not grow weary or faint-hearted. The word consider here doesn't simply mean think about has the idea of, focused, of focusing on and meditating on and chewing on and in living by the reality that Jesus endured incredible suffering from sinful men when he deserved nothing but worship. And so he is an example to us. He is the ultimate example to us. Far better than all of the examples of Hebrews 11, Jesus is the lighthouse which keeps our ship from crashing into the rocks. and we follow him, and we do the things that he did, and we, just as he endured the cross, despising the shame, despising the humiliation, that he might joyfully bring salvation to you and me, then whatever humiliation, whatever suffering, whatever degradation comes your way because of Jesus, we focus on him. And we realize that if he endured this for us, we can endure likewise for him because of the joy and the glory of reunion that awaits us at the end. Consider him who endured such opposition from sinful men that you may not grow weary and lose heart. We don't lose heart, we don't get discouraged no matter what happens. And by the way, are things discouraging right now in our country? Yes. Okay. They're discouraging. We're seeing a a slide away from religious liberty. We're seeing violence in our cities. We see drug use and abortion and all kinds of horrible things. And we see Christians being the last acceptable minority to mock and to degrade and to make fun of and to marginalize. That's not good. None of it is good. It's what happens when a country turns away from its God and from salvation we find in Christ. These are the very predictable results of that. And life if you are a Christian, is probably going to get harder rather than easier in the years to come. But we don't need to be people who are depressed, people who don't have joy in the midst of whatever happens, because we are focused on the Savior. And whatever we endure will be worth it because of what He endured for us. Amen? Amen. So let's focus our attention there as we go before the throne again. Let's pray. God, our Heavenly Father, we have such delight and joy in calling you that, in being privileged to call Father, the Lord of the universe, the one who exists outside of time, who brought all creation into existence and who before the heavens were made, predestined us for the adoption as sons. Father, we know that it is nothing in us that we should be in the Lamb's book of life. There is no reason, based on our righteousness, that we should possess salvation. And yet, Father, you were pleased to send Jesus Christ to the cross for us. Father, help us to follow Him. Help us to not to lose heart. Help us not to be fainthearted, not to be discouraged, not to be beat down by the things that we go through in life, whether they are persecutions for our faith, whether they are diseases that we encounter, whether they are the limitations of old age, whether they are financial difficulties or job problems or whatever comes our way. Father, help us not to be discouraged because the goal is yet before us. And at the finish line is the Savior who will say to us, Well done, thou good and faithful servant, if we have run with endurance the race you have given to us. And Father, I pray that we might strip off sin and run hard with every ounce of our energy following Christ all the way to you. And Father, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.